0: about the different types of love in our lives, if that's all right with you. As humans, our emotions can vary widely throughout a whole range of subjects. We just had Valentine's Day, right? And a red and white love brunch. How many of y'all attended the brunch? Wasn't it good? You better be ready for next year because I don't know what they're going to do next, but it was off the chazane. And so today I want to focus in on love again as we end this series. We are capable of feeling several types of love and each type has its own focus and intensity. There's an old saying concerning love that says this, if you love, let it go. If it never returned, it was never yours anyway. If it does return, it will be yours forever. If it returns and eat everything in sight and leaves a mess, you are either married or are a parent. (laughs) That's old saying. I I got that out of somebody that booked out. So, uh, So let's talk about the different types of love from both a worldly and godly perspective. We have, number one, the love between a parent and child. There's a love between a parent and a child. Uh, one young boy said love was when his daddy read him a bedtime story. And he went on to say that true love was when his daddy didn't skip any pages. In the world, a parent loves their children and a child loves his or her parent. But as those of you know who has raised children, there are times when it is very sweet And then it's times between the ages of 12 and 21 that are very difficult. Do I have any witnesses in here? In America, we have started families off wrong. We start families the wrong way. We have children first and then we think about marriage afterwards. And then we wonder why it's not going the way that God intended for it to go. Well, you started off wrong. You did it out of order. I don't throw nothing at me. I'm just telling the truth now. So when you start wrong, you gotta do something to get it right or get back on track. So what I gotta do, Bishop, you gotta repent and start doing it the right way. As parents, we strike to take care of our children and give them everything that they need, don't we? And as children, since we aren't mature enough to always know what we need, we depend fully on our parents to give us what we want. And if we are to model our lives after Jesus, should we not also model our relationship with our children after his relationships with children? Now, there's a Bible passage that begins with Jesus talking to his disciples. They had come to him and asked for the greatest which was in the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's what Jesus told them, Matthew 18 and 2, say He called the little child and had him stand among them, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbled himself like the this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus was saying that a child's heart is absolutely pure. It has no uh, unloving feelings towards anyone and has no ungodly characteristics. It is the essence of God, to put it mildly. And notice that Jesus didn't say he needed to be like them. He said, we needed to change to be like them. That denotes that the purity of a child and the sinlessness of a adult. Of an adult. So we see what he was trying to tell us here. There's another passage that talks about how Jesus dealt with children. Matthew 19, 13 through uh, 15. It says the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hand on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as thee. So I'm sure that the disciples had Jesus' best interests at heart and I believe they were trying to protect him from the public. Much like we see the Secret Service doing for the presidential candidates on TV today and those who are, you know, in, uh, you know, the government. But Jesus gave them a rebuke. And in so doing, he again, he, he again elevated the purity of the children to a heavenly Level Now, if Jesus placed so much love on children, should we not do the same? Jesus handled children with love, not with harshness. But how many times have we treated our children in a harsh way? And another type of love is this, love number two, love of self. Say that with me, love of self. I'm talking about the different loves this morning. And so we always seem to be centered, uh, to the centers of our own attention, don't we? If we doubt that, look at your uh, instinct of survival. We have all read about or seen instances where, when people are said to have, you know, scurried to safety. And I will say this, there is no way a person can stop to help anyone else while they are scurrying. In the attack of the Twin Towers, we see many examples of this that there were dozens of people who jumped to their death rather than die by being burned. There were many who... Uh, push past others without caring if they hurt anyone just so that they could hurry down the staircases. And there were not many, but there were some reports of people who stayed behind to minister to or help others who could not make it out or people who ran back into and once that they got out just to die trying to save somebody else. And so we see that the survival instinct is ever-present in all of us, but in some, it is all-important. So what does the Bible say about this kind of love? The Bible depicts love as something that is higher than anything else. It, It depicts love as a sacrifice, something given away for free, something bestowed upon another. You just give it away. Heard somebody write a song say, love is a love until you just give it away. In John 13, Jesus showed his love for the disciples by washing their feet. And some people do not see the significance of this. But Jesus was uh, the creator of this universe and he was God incarnate. Yet he took upon himself the lowly job of a servant to wash the dirty feet of his disciples. He loved them enough to do that so that he could use that as an example of how they should also love others. You should love each other enough to you'll be willing to do the lowest job there is. The most humbling thing you would do, like listen, if somebody hate you, the most humbling thing is to love them instead of hate them back. And so what else does God's word have to say about self-love versus love for others? In John 3 and 18, it tells us that action speaks louder than words. Look what it said. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. You can't just talk this thing. You got to live this thing. Hebrews 13, and one commands us, keep on loving each other as brothers. See, love is simply doing something or feeling something for another person for no other reason than you're wanting wanting the very best for them. And not because you're wanting something back from them. I'm doing this because I want the very best for you. And too many times we are more concerned about what we can get out of something than what we can give into it. The father was sitting in his chair one night reading the paper and all of a sudden he realized that it was his younger young daughter's birthday and he had begotten, forgotten uh, to uh, get her a gift. And so uh, he rushed down to the local department store where he sees some Barbie doll in the window. And he asked the clerk how much a barber doll is. And the clerk tell him that the range, uh, that they they range in price. And so the beauty queen barber is uh, $30, he said. The nurse Barbie is $20. And the divorce Barbie is $265. And so the man asked, it was so much, why was it so much more? He scratched his head and said, and the the clerk said it was the only one that came with Ken's car, house, and boat. Now, if you happen to be a Barbie fan, know that I'm not saying she married Ken for the money. It's just that she did end up taking from him because she was only focused on herself. And you say that in a divorce, it's okay. Well, I say it is not okay anytime. Jesus gave us a new command. He said, love our enemies. And that included spouses. Hello. Getting back to a serious note, we, we can use this, that illustration to see how we tend to throw love by the wayside when there's something else in it for us. And that is not what God wants us to feel. He wants us to be willing to make sacrifice for someone else's sake when we can. We have covered the love between parents and children and the love we have for ourselves. And I know that there are too many types of love to cover in one sermon, but I want to cover three more types of love. Christians have, number three, a love for our churches. Now, there is a lack of love in the church. You want to know why? Because there is a lack of love in the home. If there's a lack of love in the home, then there's going to be a lack of love in the church. See, I heard that charity starts at home. Love starts at home. If you can't love the folk that you say that you be with all the time and intimate with, you ain't going to be able to love nobody that you meet, you know, off the cuff. You're like, look, I can't love these that I'm around all the time. You ain't going to get the time of day. There's a dog whose name is Farley. This is a rather large dog, weighing in about 50 pounds. And Farley is clumsy, to say the least. He has a habit of knocking things over about running in the house, and he makes a daily habit of tracking in mud. Couldn't be at my house. But he is a very loving and lovable dog. For every bad quality Folly has, he has just as many good qualities. See, Folly is like the church. Every church has flaws and problems and many love to spend their time pointing them out. See, we talk about decisions that are made that we do not agree with or even about other people within the church that frustrate us. But despite all of her warps and problems, we Christians do love our churches, don't we? I mean, we might fuss with each other, and you sitting in my seat, but we love our churches. Hallelujah. Hallelujah should have let me lead that son. <laughs> See, the church is the bride of Christ. It belongs to him. Church don't belong to us. Church belongs to him. He is the ruler over the church and it is every Christian job to make sure he remains the owner of the church. And I want to direct this uh, part specifically to the elders, the ministers, and the deacons, and because uh, they have been put in a spot by others to make sure that the church is taken care of, but both the flock and the physical building and the furnishing. When we read in the book of Acts, they say, hey, we need to get people so that they can be able to help take care of the growing masses. But too many times we find that those men like the importance of the position. Oh Lord, oh Lord. And if a church is not careful, they will keep electing the same men over and over and then there seems to be uh, that day somewhere uh, in the tenure that the man who was elected elder deacon takes ownership of the church. And I've seen many churches where they say, hey, now you don't do nothing right around here and let the, the Chairman say so. He has become like the owner of the church. Well, Brother brother, Charman, you are not the owner of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Amen. And when this happened, conflicts begin because they want to call all the shots. But a pastor, if he is a godly pastor, is anointed by God, not elected by men. And so the battle rages. A man who has had have been elected to take care of Jesus' church now tries to dictate to the man who was anointed by God to lead the church. And as leaders... May I caution you that your job is to take care of the church and to leave the ownership of the church in the hands of Jesus. See, my job as a spiritual leader of this church is to do the best I can to guide this church body into a deeper relationship with Christ. Not for me to rule over you and dictate and become a dictator. I am here to my God to increase your relationship with Christ. But I need help in making sure that I do this correctly. And that is where the leadership comes into play. And I use them as advisors, and they are my teammates. And we work in unison as one team, focused on the same goal that of seeing people raised up in Christ through the means of this church. And since this church belongs fully and totally to Jesus Christ, the winning church, and since we love him, we must love his church. We must all love it enough to chip in and do things when things need to be done. Am I in the house? And so we must love this church enough to support it in every way we are able. And we must love this church enough to make it a house of worship and prayer for all people. You don't make nobody feel like they're outcasts. I don't care where where they come from. And there's another love that we need to be aware of, and that is number four, the love of God. Say that with me, the love of God. Now, how much do we love other people? Would you be willing to die for somebody else? Oh, somebody said, uh-uh. Oh, your spouse or your children, you would. But how about somebody else that you are not related to? Would you be willing to give your life up for somebody who really hates you? There are very few people who would ever be willing to die for somebody else if it actually came down to that. Even in war where tens of thousands of men are in battle and we see very few incidents of real bravery or sacrifice. they are few and far between, but we do occasionally see men who are willing to die for another. When they say take cover, you need to take cover. If you jump out there and come out, they say, I'm not going up there with you. I told you to take cover. Huh? And so Jesus was one of those people. He died for you so you wouldn't have to. He threw the gauntlet. He set the example. And now if we claim to be his, we, he expects us to live up to that example. And most of us, however, never have to worry about giving our lives up for someone else. But we are expected to show the love for others that he showed to us. He said, as I have loved you, you must love one another. John 3, 16. Here's our foundational scripture for today. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whosoever believes. Who's the whosoever? That's us. In him shall what? Not perish, but have what? Eternal life. So that verse is but one sentence long. Yet in it, we see the entire structure of Christianity. And we see that the entire structure of Christianity is wrapped in one word, and that is love. Christianity is about love. For God so loved the world that he gave. I was at a banquet last last night, and in my closing, I told him, listen, You can give without love, but you can never love without giving. People give all the time and don't love nobody. They give to charities just to get a tax break. They don't love that organization. They just trying to do something for themselves. But you can never love without giving. Because when you love someone, you give to that person. You invest in what you love. D.L. Moody was a renowned American preacher back in the mid-1800s. He went to England where he was introduced to a young preacher named Henry Morehouse. And during this short conversation, Morehouse said he wanted to go to America. And so Moody, trying to be polite, said that if he did go to America, he should look. Moody up and Moody would let him preach in his church. Well, the day came when Moody received a telegram saying Morehouse was coming to America and was planning on visiting Moody's church. Moody was going to be gone at the time, so uh, he told his wife that he had to let Morehouse preach once anyway. So he told her to let him give one sermon And if everyone liked him, let him preach too. So Moody was gone for a week. And when he came back, he asked his wife, how Morehouse was preaching at that time? She said, he's much better than you because he tells the people that God loves sinners. So Moody snapped back, snapped back that God hates sinners. His wife said, you can tell them tonight because he's preaching again for the sixth night in a row. <laughs> Moody did go to church at that night, and so, but circumstances made, made him a, a little late, and he thought he would sit through the sermon and then tell Morehouse that he had to leave. But by the end of the sermon, Moody's heart had changed. And he said that it was the first time in his life that he really understood the love of God has for him. See, God loves every single person who has ever walked on this planet. And I am sure that God's love has been broken most of the time because most people reject God. And how that must hurt our Lord, but he still pursues us, doesn't he? Even though we break his heart over and over again, he still runs after us. And I praise God that he pursued me until I wised up. I praise God that he is pursuing us yet today. Forgiving us daily for the many times we fall to temptation. I mean, we fail on consistent basis, but he's yet in pursuit You ought to give God the praise because he's still pursuing you. He's still running after you. He ran after you this morning when you got up out of your bed. He ran after you when you was in your car on your way to church. He ran after you when you came through those doors. And he's running after you now. And you know what I say to that? Run after me, Lord pursue me Lord because if you don't pursue me that means you don't care nothing about me if you don't come after me to get me saved and stay saved that means that you have left me alone and I don't want to be alone thank God he's still pursuing me come on say that with me thank God he's still pursuing me I'm coming I'm almost there So there's another kind of love. And since it's love month, I kept this one here for last. This kind of love, number five, is the love between sweethearts. Did you know that 80% of the voices are fouled by women or the wife? Did you know that? Why? Why? This is why. Because of the lack of love and commitment. Most women file for divorce because of the lack of love and commitment. They are willing to break the covenant because they do not receive the love or the commitment when he said, I do or I will, he didn't after he said it. Look how y'all looking at me today. 80% of them say, I can't do it. I can't hang. I'm, I don't reach my wits in. I'm not going to stay. I can't do it for the lack of love and commitment. When your relationship should have been built on only love and commitment in the first place. So watch this. Can we fix this? Yes. Start giving love like Christ gives love and be committed unto death like Christ was committed unto death to the church. Love your wife like Christ loved the church and we will have less divorces. Y'all ain't ready. Amen. I want you to look at, I want you to search your own heart. Don't look, look at nobody else right now. Search your own heart. Do you really have love and commitment in your relationship? Somebody say, well, you know I'm committed because I'm still here, but ain't no love in there. Y'all just glorified roommates. Ain't no intimacy. Ain't no relationship. Ain't no I'm into you, you into me. We're just here because we say we gave our word. Who want to uh, have a life sentence of being married to a rock? That's a life sentence. It's like you being in jail. Since I'm going to heaven anyway, I want to enjoy the trip. Christ in the church, that's a love story. He loved, God so loved the world that he gave, he gives. you can say what you want to say about me. I'm going to keep on giving to my wife. My father-in-law told me a long time ago. They used to pick at him about being with his wife for so long. He told him, "Say, listen, this all—they t- they call him hen peck." He said, "My father-in-law before he died, he said it was all right. It was all right being hen pecked if you pecked by the right hand." Yeah. How many of y'all pecked by the right hand? I got the right hand. All right, you roosters out there, y'all got the right hand. Somebody said, cock a doo We're surrounded by so many great love stories. We had the Jack and Rose in the Titanic. Jack was the poor man and the Rose was the well-to-do young lady. And they fell madly in love. And when the ship sank, Jack gave up his life so that Rose could be saved. There was a story of the love between Romeo and Juliet. You know, we hear about that such sweet sorrow and all that. And then there was the love story of Cleopatra and Anthony. And to be truthful, the only thing that I could think of when I saw that movie was how much did that thing cost to make, you know, because there was a lot of stuff going on there. But of course, who could ever forget, you know, gone with the wind because, you know, I used to hear all about the gone with the wind stuff. And so, one thing the stories all have in common is the absolute love one felt for the other. But like all the great works of art, there is some literal leadway included. In other words, uh, they never had any negative human characteristic mixed in. Now, here's what I am talking about here. So, a man and a woman fall in love, and they begin to make plans for marriage. Right now, do you think during this process they have any arguments? <laughs> you know, when you're planning, and you know, normally you normally everything is all right, and you try not to have no arguments. Why? Because. You know, uh, there are in an area of courtship. And that area has no reality in it. It's just emotions. You know, when you first get to knowing each other, Bishop, I need to talk to you. See, you're all emotional. I think I met somebody. See, you know that 50% I say that you don't know about? I told you last week, you don't know about that other part. But you the part that you see, oh, child, let me tell you. I mean, your nose is just all up. If it snowed, you would suffocate. But what happens after they've been married for about a year or two? <laughs> Somebody say <"Loud> <laughs> things start to wear on their nerves they leave the toothpaste cap off she's always on the phone doing the game and she sits right next to you as she's talking girl would you go somewhere I'm trying to watch the game you're talking all loud and everything and pretty soon You start voicing your concerns about how the other is beginning to aggravate you, you know, and vice versa. And, well, you know, that pushes their button. And as humans, we cannot let that type of thing go unchecked. So we have something called a comeback for them. So this presses their button and off they go. The honeymoon is over. But is that the type of love that we are to have between a man and a woman? See, there's a story of Mary and Joseph. And in that culture, it was normal for a young virgin to marry uh, to a middle-aged man. And many scholars believe that was the case with Mary and Joseph. Mary was a teenager and Joseph was a middle-aged man. And so, how did they relate to one another? See, before the wedding, Mary tells Joseph that she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. But that she never had relationship with him. Right? So, how would you men act if that had happened to you? Would you have believed her? I doubt if there is one man in a thousand who would say, girl, you'd have lost your mind. And I could just imagine buttons that would have been pushed in. Be, I'm here trying to save myself and get you right and everything. You done went behind my back and got pregnant, talking about some Holy Ghost. You're a holy what? You, you are, hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> But how did Joseph handle it? Joseph was going to quietly put her out of his life. And he cared enough about her to even in that situation, not to make a public fuss over it. But then the angel visited him in a dream and confirmed Mary's story. And not only did Joseph keep his promise to marry her, but also, when they went to Bethlehem for the consensus, he let Mary ride the donkey. In those days, a good self-respected man would never have let her ride the donkey. As a man always rode, the woman would walk. Look how y'all look at about. ooh! He better not talk about making me walk today. I'll jump on his back. He gonna ride me. Now how do you know she rode if the Bible does not not say it, you know? So the length that the trip would have been uh, too much on her to walk and to get there by the uh, consents, Joseph would have had to let her ride. And so again, if we are the model of our Christian lives after Jesus, maybe we should model our marriage relationships after his parents. And after this, you know, this, after we finish this winning uh, in love series, I would hope that each of you do something very extraordinary to show how much you love your partner. And I want you to give—I want to give you an example that everybody in here can relate to. As we end this message, and I know you thought I'm probably going to preach long today, but I, on purpose, didn't want to preach long because I know we had some festivities going on before we started this message. I said I'm going to do it short today. Y'all, come on. I know they they'd be like, ooh, yes, we're coming on now. Do you have real love in your heart is my question. Do you have real love in your heart? You know that God loves you, but do you love him? We know God love us because he proved it by giving his life in our place. But do you love him enough to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him? Do you love him enough to give, you, give him you? Say, Lord, no matter what I got going on, I give you, I present myself. Totally incomplete. You can use anything, Lord. You can use me. Do you love him enough to fully surrender yourself to him this morning? Do you love God enough to become his? People have been coming to church for years, but they don't love God enough to become his. To not let their life totally belong to him. We come to church as a formality, as a block, to check, or put the X in. I went to church this week. But do you love him enough to give him all of you? And not make excuses why you didn't do what you were supposed to do for him. Well, you know, I was intending to come to church, but you know, I, I had this little thing going on. My, You know, I had this thing going on in my side. Well, bring your side to get healed. Yeah. Well, you know, my my, my 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 game was on. Get ready to come on. Well, they that, that, that don't fix that. You can record that. Do we make excuses in the place of doing what we need to do to show God that we love him and we need him. Do we love God enough to become his? And today, if you do, and I can't assume that everybody really love him like they should and everybody is saved like they should. And if you do want to become his, when I ask you today, I want you to step out from where you are, standing, and I want you to walk straight up here. And I want you to open your heart to Jesus, and I want you to let him be the Lord of your life. We've seen the types of love today. The love that a parent has for a child. And some of us, we got that down pat, boy. We'll do everything we can for the little Bobo. Y'all understand what I'm saying, right? We'll do everything we can for them children. We'll lie for them. We'll take up for them. And we do know about love for ourselves. We love ourselves. That's why you dress up, you look in the mirror, you comb your hair, you get your hair done, your nails, your lips, your fingertips. Now they're doing the hips and everything else. I mean, man, man, you got the money, you can do it. You don't like your nose, we can shrink that. You want it bigger, we can give you some bigger lips if you want them. Then we know the love for our churches. Many people, they love their church. Man, you, can't, you cannot pull them away from their church. And you should have a love for your church. And then, yes, we should have a love for our sweethearts. And most of all, we should have a love for our God. So, you should never get tired being in love with the Lord. I, I ask God to renew His grace and mercy for me every morning. He has new mercies for you every morning. Great is His faithfulness. He gave us new mercy and new grace this morning. We're here by the grace of God. And I'm asking the Lord, whatever he's doing in this season, I don't want him to do it without me. Are you feeling that same thing? Whatever he's doing in this season, I don't want God to do it without I want him to include me. I want him to include me. I need him like never before. I know he loved me. But can I tell y'all something? Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I have ever done. In his arms, I feel protected. In his arms, I feel connected. You got to just fall in love with him. Just got to fall in love with him. I love him so much. Because why? He first loved me. And I'm telling you what, you know what? As they sing the song, I can never repay you, Lord, for what you've done for me. And I don't know why Jesus loved me. Y'all know the song, but I'm so glad that he did. I can never repay him, but I I, I, I when I think about the goodness of Jesus. And all that he has done for me, my soul cries out, Hallelujah! I thank God for saving me. Do I have any witnesses in this house right now? There's nothing that can compete nor compare to the love of God. To the love of God. To the love of God. He's got so much for you and me. He's got so much for all of us. And his love never runs out. First lady, his love never runs out. We're in love with Jesus and his love never runs out. He's got fresh love for us every minute, every second, every hour, every day, every month, every year. That's why I love him so. Can I just break it down to you? He loved me so much that he puts up with my mess. You understand me now? you understand the words coming out of my mouth now? He, un- he loved me so even though I got a mess here at time, the- but he loves me through all my mess. One day he turned my mess into a message. Are y'all hearing me? So he want to turn your mess into a message. Uh, we have a message to tell others that when I f- fell in love with Jesus, He changed my life. He changed my life. Oh, I love this Winning in Love series. I love this winning month. Hallelujah. Winning is the key in 2023. I'm telling you, God is doing some great things in our lives. Everybody's standing. Everybody's standing.